This episode of the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast is brought to you in part by Wave. Are you tired of chasing down payments for your small business? With Wave's easy-to-use invoicing software, you can customize your invoices, look professional, and get paid faster for your work. Use Wave's recurring invoicing feature so you can sit back, relax, and get back to doing what you love. Create your account at waveapps.com weekly and get started with 100% free and unlimited invoicing. That's waveapps.com weekly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast, hosted by yours truly. It's Joshua Vergara. What's going on, everybody? Got the usual intro for this one. Uh, but as you probably know from last week's episode, we are still in the throes of uh, some transitions when it comes to the podcast. We are uh, moving forward, obviously, with the audio version of the podcast. That has always been the case. Uh, but as far as other forms of it, we're still trying to figure out what best ways to present it. But now that we're just on the audio version, at least for right now, I've been a little bit more lax when it comes to uh, the the actual content of the show itself. Last week we had TK Bay on, but this week I might actually just talk to you by myself uh, just so I can go through a few pieces of news and give some opinions on things but also a lot of this episode is going to sort of set up topics that I have in mind for future episodes I want to start doing deep dives on the pocket now weekly podcast uh, aside from uh, one-on-one conversations that you probably all know and love after all we love having guests on the show and to just have conversations with them uh, but there are certain topics especially ones that are coming up right now that I want to dive into and try to give a presentation on those Uh, Now, with that said, last week was not the heaviest news week. Uh, There were a lot of leaks in particular of the upcoming Samsung Galaxy S20, S20 Plus, S20 Ultra. And by golly, uh, there are so many leaks of this phone that we're going to see in basically a week. And I'm sure that everyone's really excited for it. Uh, So I don't blame anybody for really going into the leaks and trying to get as much information as they can before unpacked. Uh, But I'm going to be there in just over a week uh, actually in San Francisco which is where Unpacked is this time Uh, but it seems that uh, everyone else is just trying to get as much information as possible I like to be surprised at these events so I'm actually trying my best not to look too far into them uh, not any more than I need to especially for the content that I'll eventually be making about the phones And it doesn't look like we're going to have to wait too long after Unpacked to get our hands on the S20s, especially as consumers are able to pre-order the phones right now. Like apparently there's already a page uh, for people to start pre-ordering an S20, S20 Ultra, S20 Plus, but we don't even really have concrete evidence of what the prices are going to be. There were a few tweets, again, little leaks from various places. A couple of people said that T-Mobile representatives were telling them that it is going to start at $999, at $1,000. That's the S20, the smaller version. And then it's going to go up from there, $1,099 for the Plus, $1,199 for the S20 Ultra. So uh, while we were all looking forward to phones starting to lower their price points as time went on, it doesn't look like that will be the case. And I'm actually not too surprised by this personally, if this is the case, because the Note 10 Lite and the S10 Lite are things like they are in existence and i wouldn't put it past samsung to still go for the very high premium price points on their flagship phones and then later on they're going to make like a s20 Lite. Uh, that's why i found it interesting that even though the s10 and the s10e were interesting phones in and of themselves even though everyone went for the s10 plus generally uh, that was the review units that we all ended up getting after all uh, but the s10e was one of those phones that everyone was like really into because it did something a little bit different and it was more affordable now we don't get an s20e we just get a regular s20 and then they went ultra 
uh, with like the the crazy big version of the phone. Uh, that said, later on, it's entirely possible that we're going to end up seeing something like an S20 Lite. And honestly, that's one thing that I'm really hoping to get my hands on pretty soon is the light models. We did see them for a little bit at CES, but even Samsung themselves are kind of being withholding when it comes to uh, release information on those particular phones. If I were to check real quick right now, a lot of stories about the light models still don't have any price or release date information. The only thing we really know right now is that the light models have started to come up in India. So that is kind of cool. That's something that literally happened at the beginning of this week, which again, I'm happy that I kind of waited uh, after this past Super Bowl weekend. I'm not going to talk about the Super Bowl, but that's what this past weekend was. I'm happy that I waited through the weekend before I did this episode because um, it's not that I knew there was going to be news coming out over the weekend, but it just felt like the topic I wanted to talk about on this episode from last week is kind of a heavy one. So I wanted to give it some time and see what pieces of news might come out that I have some opinions on. And there it was. The Samsung Galaxy Z Flip was leaked on a video. Now, this is really interesting, and it is, it is how I'm going to lead this episode, because I'm sure a lot of you out there want to hear some thoughts about these particular phones, the flip phones, the smart flip phones, the foldables, whatever you want to call them. And as excited as I am for something like the Z Flip, and I know a lot of people out there are uh, really jazzed about this form factor, one thing that I find interesting is that the foldable market seems to be so niche, and while we were so excited for it from the Galaxy Fold to the Mate X, uh, to the to the Moto Razor, which is starting to get into people's hands around this week, and then finally the the uh, Samsung uh, Galaxy Z Flip, which might be at unpacked next week. We're not too sure yet. It would be cool if it was or if it is. Um, what I find interesting is that the foldable form factor kind of dictates whether or not it's uh, ultimately useful. So the types like the Mate X and the Galaxy Fold. Those make perfect sense for me from a usability standpoint. Now, I get that the screen on the Galaxy Fold is still not ideal, the outer screen, when you have the phone folded onto itself. I get that that screen is not really ideal, but you do get a little bit of usability on there still, and then when you open it up, you get a full screen that is bigger than what you would normally get on a smartphone. This is nothing that's new to anybody. I know a lot of people out there are still opining over the Galaxy Fold because what they really want is that larger screen form factor that is pocketable. That makes perfect sense to me. But there's something that the clamshell smartphones are starting to show uh, that might be their undoing. There are some uh, videos and pictures from Max Weinbach over at XDA. Uh, he's been running around just like, he's been one of the main catalysts for a lot of the leaks for Samsung's uh, phones for next week, by the way. But he has also been just sort of running around and messing around with a lot of different phones, especially the ones that are coming out right now. Uh, and he has a quite a bit of insight on all of this stuff. In particular, uh, he went to take a look at a Moto Razor and <laughs> it's bold of this particular store to have put the Moto Razor on a stand, uh, not just behind glass, but like a demo unit that was there. And that thing was destroyed. <laughs> and not only because people probably didn't know how to properly handle a phone like that with a screen that even Moto themselves said has a bit of a bump to it or bumps rather to it. There might actually be creases and curves to it because that's just the nature of the rather flexible display that they have on there. Uh, well, I guess people were just like digging their fingernails into it enough that eventually the screen just started to peel off and it just got really bad. Even, the fact that 
that Motorola is even warning people about how to use the device outright, it doesn't bode well for that particular form factor. Now, the Moto Razr was exciting. It still is. And I would love to try it out myself. Early reports are not all that favorable at the moment, uh, especially considering that a phone like this with a 2500 milliamp hour battery and uh, the fact that it has a flexible display mean that uh, some of the flagship phone experiences that a lot of us are let's just say used to, I don't want to say that we're all spoiled or anything, but we're all kind of used to these flagship phone experiences. Uh, it's just not going to be the case on the Moto Razr. The specs are not really up to par in that case. The processor is not super powerful. The battery goes out in like three or four hours of screen on time at the most. And then of course the screen is something you kind of have to, you have to baby it a little bit. I do give the Moto Razr a little bit of credit because it has the screen on the cover, uh, which still allows you to do a few things, especially when it comes to notifications. Maybe you can think of it like a smartwatch just on the outside of a phone, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but even though it gives you a little bit of that connectivity and that type of usage, you still need to open the phone in order to do literally anything else. And that's the reason why I might be a little bit skeptical despite my excitement over the Galaxy Z Flip. See, I, I actually have a lot of faith in the Z Flip that it's not going to have the same problems as the Moto Razr. At least problems that are, it's kind of conjecture, but it's kind of clear that some people are having issues with build quality on those. Uh, and if Moto has to come out and say it themselves, well, I mean, that kind of is a precursor to a lot of stuff. Samsung, on the other hand, already went through their problems, and when they sent out the original Galaxy Fold to a lot of people and it started to break, they addressed all of those issues. I got to see myself the updated version of the Galaxy Fold, and yes, it did seem to be a sturdier device, and a lot of the stuff was addressed. So I imagine that that same level of thought is going to be put into the Galaxy Z Flip, and that means it's going to be a sturdy device, but the form factor alone is more novel than it is useful, in my opinion. See, with the Galaxy Fold, you're not going to like the outside screen, but at least you can use it in that way. And then if you're just really into those big screens or if you just want to see how applications will start to adhere to the tablet form factor more, well, then you have a tablet in your pocket. It's easier to pocket than literally any other tablet in existence. But the Z Flip is a smaller version of a current smartphone. And we're also used to having smartphones already uh, that... Just being able to fold it down is novel. It is useful from a usability standpoint, but it doesn't necessarily add to its usability. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I know that probably some people that I know, and including Issa Rodriguez, are probably screaming at their, uh, their audio systems right now at me because obviously one of the reasons why this form factor is so important is because there are people out there who want to have smaller devices in general, and then it'll become something like our current smartphones uh, when they need it to be. That's perfectly fine. It's the same concept that I just presented with the Galaxy Fold where that person wants something bigger, a tablet, a bigger view experience and then they can use it when they want to it's on demand uh, it's just kind of funny to me the two uh, different ways of looking at foldables this is an interesting dichotomy that we're starting to see right now and the z flip is going to further that at least in the case of the z flip you're not going to have as many problems as with the moto razor uh, potentially the z flip is going to be as expensive though and i'm not looking forward to that but i can almost forgive it a little bit more because the galaxy fold has proven uh, that there is some demand for that phone and the price point is not going to stop certain people. I mean, just look at any of our friends on the tech Twitter sphere, and a lot of them have actually put down their own money to get the Galaxy Fold.
But of course, let's not forget about our specifications here. Uh, I am looking at a tweet right now from Saf, who got this information from Roland, uh, Roland Quant. I am hoping I'm pronouncing your last name right, buddy. Um, so these specifications actually make this look like a very good current smartphone. It just also will have the benefit of being foldable. You can make it smaller. It looks like a small square in your pocket, and then it becomes a very tall, a rather tall smartphone once you unfold it. That is a 6.7-inch full HD AMOLED flex display, as it is called. The front-facing camera is 10 megapixels at f2.4. There is an always-on front preview display at about an inch, uh, which, again, it's basically just going to give you notifications. Maybe you'll be able to control a couple of things with it, but again, the usability standpoint of what is outside side of the fold is not going to be quite like the Galaxy Fold. Dual cameras on the back, it's 12 and 12. Uh, in this case, it is a primary lens and then an ultra-wide lens, which I'm totally into. I do like that ultra-wide is starting to be more of a choice uh, in a lot of these particular smartphones. And this very specific niche phone, the Z Flip, is not uh, overlooking that. Now, one thing I really enjoy here is that it has the Qualcomm Snapdragon 855+. Plus. It may not be the 865, but that kind of tells me something. This phone has been in development for quite some time now. Uh, so Samsung has definitely had this in mind. It's something that we've seen in certain leaks and speculation. But now this is the most concrete piece of info we have on the Z Flip. There's 8 gigabytes of RAM, 256 gigabytes of storage. You can expand it with an SD card. And then there is 3,300 milliamp hours in the battery, which is definitely a lot better than the one that's in the Moto Razr. So as far as flippable, flippable foldables are concerned, flip phones, flip smartphones are concerned. The Galaxy Z Flip is the one to beat, I think. The Moto Razr, it, it, it did a great job like capturing some of the attention, definitely capturing the hearts and minds of a lot of people out there, especially with that nostalgia trip from Moto. But on the hierarchy of usability, the Z Flip is definitely right in the middle between the Razr and all the other foldables that we're seeing. It just matters what you really need out of your phone, but for the most part, if, if all you need is just for your smartphone to fold down, I don't know if that's enough to justify paying what could be about $1,500 for, for a device like this. Like, if you have a Galaxy S10 already and you just wish it folded, you've already paid a lot of money for your S10. I'm not too sure why you would actually spend so much more, perhaps, for something that just has a crease in the middle. Okay, so the ad was at the beginning of the episode, so it's not like I can get much of a break after that, but I did take a moment to just sort of breathe after those uh, stream of consciousness thoughts that I had. I wanted to spend the last five or so minutes just sort of recounting or rather uh, pontificating upon how this last week went. As, as you all know, uh, before Super Bowl, the very week before, was when uh, a horrific tragedy happened uh, to the lives of nine people. We lost nine people in a helicopter crash that also claimed the life of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gigi Bryant, uh, Gianna Bryant. Now, uh, I already did a podcast uh, over at Tech & Tea with Joshua Vergara. Uh, I did my own podcast, just sort of recounting uh, my own thoughts on the entire situation. And I'm not going to go through how Kobe Bryant was like an inspirational figure in my life or anything like that. I'm sure many of you out there probably have similar sentiments. Uh, but what I wanted to do was actually sort of expound upon some of the digital happenings that occurred after uh, the crash happened. Now, you know, not, not to make light of literally anything that happened on that horrific day. I just want to uh, sort of dissect 
what happened in mainly the Twitter sphere and on social media. And it's an, it's an idea that I've had for a while, talking about how equipped we are as a society, as people in the social media age to handle situations like that. And again, since I'm only spending a few minutes on this, it's not like I did a ton of research on all of this. I'm kind of going off of my experience here. Uh, but I do want to know what everybody thinks about this. So make sure you go on Twitter and uh, give me a mention, give Pocket Now a mention, and use the hashtag PNWeekly so that I know you're talking about this particular episode. And just give me your thoughts about social media and how it affects us, especially in moments of tragedy like this. I want to. I hope that I can hear from a lot of people. Um, and you're free to mention me on Twitter, on Instagram, or whatever the case may be, at uh, JVTechT, uh, so that you can you know just get your opinions out there. We don't have a YouTube version of this podcast, which means there's no comment section, but I'm actually working on a place for everyone to maybe fill out a form or just create a place for people to actually uh, give their opinions after listening to the episode. But this is one of those interesting topics because while it is really easy to just fall into the trap of fake news, fake news, fake news, this was a situation that seemed to affect a lot of people, even people outside of my hometown of Los Angeles. That's one of the reasons why I was so affected by it. I grew up watching the Lakers. I rep, as you all know, I rep LA to the death. And of course, something like this was going to affect me deeply. And one of the first things that I did, and first of all, TK Bay was the person who told me right after we recorded our episode together that this happened. And he probably found out about it either by the local news or by social media. But I know that a ton of people, even celebrities and fellow um, uh, basketball players who played with Kobe Bryant, found out via social media, via their phones. Their phones just started dinging all over the place, and they probably got notifications from uh, places like Twitter, news organizations, and then, of course, messages from uh, their friends, word of mouth. Uh, and what I found interesting about the actual plane crash was that there was so much unconfirmed information out there, and it was kind of irksome to watch, to be honest, because we as just a, sort of a society, a culture of people on the internet, uh, seem to be incredibly gung-ho about providing the bad news. So on the one hand, TMZ, uh, that, that in and of itself was a crazy part of this whole story that TMZ was the first to break the news of Kobe Bryant's death. But after all of that happened, there was just so much on Twitter. If you just looked at the trending page or even just looked at certain hashtags and whatnot, people were saying so many unsubstantiated things and it took hours and hours for anyone to get any final word on A, who was in the plane, B, how many how many people even were on the plane? And uh, C, like what was happening with those people's families, and in particular the Bryant family. I think for hours people thought that, um, and I remember a few people that I even knew on uh, the Twitter sphere were saying that all four of Kobe Bryant's children were with him on that plane. This was like something going around on Twitter. After that, people were saying that Rick Fox, a fellow, uh, another former Laker, was on the plane. And these were all things that were just being proliferated just by the, the the sheer storm of tweets that were going out. And of course, the main one, uh, which even I was surprised by, like I wasn't tweeting out any of 
anyone else's information or anything like that. I was just saying how I, how, how I felt at the time. Uh, there were people that were saying that there were seven people on board when in reality there were nine. And we didn't know that there were nine people on board until the authorities actually said so on TV. And that's just something I wanted to put out there as an illustration of like, are we... I want to ask all of you this question. This is like the, the the question of the episode. Are we actually equipped as a people with the different outlets that we use for news and for information? Are we actually equipped to handle tragedy, to handle all of these things that are happening right now? Because you know what? The upcoming episode that I want to talk about, something that I want to talk about maybe even in the next episode, uh, because next week the after that is obviously Samsung Galaxy, I do want to talk about this whole coronavirus thing because People that we know or people that we work with uh, across the different Chinese companies in China right now um, are just coming back from the extended holiday that the Chinese government allowed everyone to have because the coronavirus spread. And it's and it's it's it is a big deal. Um, So it affected not only correspondence with. Uh, a lot of our contacts in China, but it also affected maybe some shipping. It affected probably the workforce that's out there. Who knows what kind of, I'm going to be doing research into what kind of impact it had on uh, just sort of commerce in particular. Um, and of course, there are a lot of other anecdotes that people have of like what this whole coronavirus, let's say scare, I do, I will use the word scare, what this coronavirus scare is doing to the greater community. And of course, a lot of all of those opinions and a lot of all of that news, whether or not it's fully substantiated, no one truly knows right now um, about some of the pieces of news that have come out about the coronavirus. Um, all of that has been coming through social media. And everyone is talking about it because everyone that they know is talking about it in one way or another. I guess as a takeaway, uh, obviously, I'll probably t- I'll probably talk about this whole social media topic in general uh, with other people in the future. It is always an ongoing story. It's always something that I have on my mind about how we as a society are equipped uh, for, for events like this. Obviously, I'm going to get into all of that in some later time. But I guess in terms of the whole Kobe Bryant thing, I guess my main takeaway from it all was that, thank God, we still have good outlets that are focusing on the facts and focusing on um, being thorough with their research rather than just trying to get ahead of the news cycle. I I personally wanted to give a personal shout out to uh, the LA Times. Um, You know, once upon a time, I actually wanted to work at the LA Times as a journalist, a newspaper journalist. That was before the age of digital media, of course, before it became before it became clear that digital media was going to be king. Um, But The LA Times, like at the time of Kobe Bryant's untimely demise, when everybody was just reeling from the whole situation, uh, the LA Times made all of their Kobe stories and coverage uh, free. It wasn't behind a paywall anymore because, and, and on top of all of that, they made it very clear via social media even that they were not going to report on anything until they knew exactly all of the facts from the credible sources. And one of those credible sources was obviously the rescue teams, um, the investigations, the local uh, law enforcement that was there, and of course, you know, the families of the people who were affected by this horrific tragedy. And yeah, like I, I personally wanted to commend the LA Times for that kind of not only thoroughness, but also respect for the story, but also the facts, you know, um, because they, they they really put a lot of their work into actually providing every angle to not only the actual crash itself, but also to just retrospectives of the lives of the people who were lost, including Kobe Bryant, of course. Um, so I don't know. I I like that there is this dichotomy between the social media fever 
pitches that happen on Twitter and whatnot, where all of this information is going out and no one really knows if it's even real or not. And then, of course, you know, we still have places that would substantiate facts, substantiate uh, final words on things like that. And I, I have to commend that we have those two halves still. Thank goodness. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just thought I would do a stream of consciousness on the whole social media thing because it was on my mind for such a long time last week. And again, it was pretty much the only thing that I was monitoring last week because the news cycle was not quite so... It wasn't completely fresh. Like there wasn't really anything. Again, it's all leaks, speculation, nothing really substantiated. And then, you know, by 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 the grace of God, thank goodness, over the weekend, this whole Galaxy Z Flip thing happened. So I did have some tech news to bring to you. But along with tech comes the way that we use tech in all of our lives. And that is, of course, including social media and the way that it affects us as a people. So I wanted to pose those questions to all of you. Uh, questions of the episode for all of you out there. Find ways on Twitter to not only shout me out, but also pocket now and use that hashtag PN Weekly. I want to know your thoughts on this whole social media discussion that I've started. We'll obviously return to it in the future, but also let me know how you feel about the leaks and the reports or the hands-on video that someone even had on Twitter. That's where a lot of this hubbub came from of the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip. Super exciting, I know, um, but I want to know what all of you have to think. And with that said, I'm going to go ahead and call it on this one. Um, you can get into the show notes to follow Pocket Now on all social media at Pocket Now across the way, and also youtube.com slash Pocket Now. Uh, subscribe to the channel for all of the video content from myself and mostly Jaime Rivera, who is always holding it down with the Pocket Now daily on the channel. From there, you can also follow myself on social media at JVTechT. You know me, I'm JV. I love tech and I love to drink me some tea. I did mention a little bit earlier in this episode that I talked about some of these things on my own podcast, um, but you can find links for me also on my social media, and then you can subscribe to my channel as well, youtube.com slash Joshua Vergara. Whew, that was a solid like 20 to 25 minutes worth of me talking through all of these things. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the podcast and look forward to any changes or any things that we're going to be bringing to you on the Pocket Now Weekly podcast in the future. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and call it on this one, and I will see you in our next episode. <laughs>